Thanks for listening to the CISO Diaries podcast. We're Leah. And I'm Sia. And we started this podcast with the intent to give CISOs and cybersecurity professionals a place to be their authentic selves. These are the unedited stories told of how they got into cybersecurity, their real struggles that they persevered through, their personal anecdotes that make them tick, and the leadership advice based on their own experiences. And we want to especially spotlight those that are contributing and giving back to the community apart from their day jobs. This podcast is for everyone, especially if you're a leader or someone aspiring to leadership. Who knows? You may find yourself working with these awesome leaders. So join us on your favorite podcast player. And please don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and comment and engage in the conversation. And now let's get to know our CISO on our latest diary entry. Oh, yeah. Hello and good evening, good afternoon, good morning. We are here on another episode of the CISO Diaries podcast. I'm Leah with my co-host Sia. Hello, hello. Hello. A quick, quick shout out to our sponsor, Cyber Future Foundation. They are a nonprofit of thinkers and doers focused on solving for bigger cyber initiatives for a more safer and trusted world. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of having Steve Zaluski with us today in our Dallas studio safely. Steve. Ladies, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I am so looking forward to this conversation. Us too. It's exciting uh, to have you here with us too. So you were the former worthy CISO at Levi Strauss and now are on sabbatical, even though we know you you have your hands in other endeavors, if you will, that maybe we can talk about. First of all, how, how have things been? Have you been taking a break from everything and being able to Recover yes. from being in the trenches? I have. And one, I highly recommend everybody take a sabbatical. Oh, my god! Absolutely. It's the best thing you can do. Um, after six years at Levi's and ending as, a, as the CISO, when I walked away, I was burnt out. And I knew it. Okay? And I literally, you know, asked a whole lot of people. I said, I'm just going on sabbatical. I need to just clear my head. I spent three weeks on the East Coast with my wife and my daughter. We flew out to Virginia. We drove all the way up the coast and just visited all the cities and family and friends. And I came back, and then I'm out here visiting one of my sons who actually works out here. And so it was very serendipitous that you approached me, and I said, I'm right here. I am happy to come together. And so come Labor Day, I'll start to think about what does Steve want to do next. Well, is it serendipity or is it stalking? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, that, no, I think that's great. And again, thank you for making the time while you're here. You know, all three of us, I can say this now respectfully and truthfully, have been in the trenches, if you will, in cybersecurity. Steve, you were a CISO. I come from a marketing background, no longer in marketing. And Sia, you were in sales. Oh, yeah. So we've got the three trifecta uh, yep. of, of fun, if you will, I call yeah. it. And the brutal truths as well that I really want to dive in with you both today because it's it's apparent that we have a problem. And so I want to just talk about some of our perspectives and where we've come from and what we've seen. And, you know, let's dive in. <laughs> oh, it's good. This is going to be a fun one. Hey, everyone, if you're listening, strap in. And I think we're going on for a roller coaster I think so. ride because this is going to be a, I think this is the one podcast in general where I just want to speak my truth, if you will, of 20 years of working with amazing clients, 
working with other vendors, working with partners, the whole ecosystem. So are we giving each other permission to make each other laugh, cry simultaneously then? A hundred percent. Hey, I would say the three people in this room are responsible for making a lot of the problems. So let's figure out how we're going to solve the exactly. problems. Okay? Why are you looking at us? There you go. But it's similar. I've been waiting a long time to, um, to speak some truth to a lot of this. Steve, starting with you, and you've done some work already and when you were in your CISO role on trying to make that relationship better, if you will, between vendor and the end user or customer. Share a little bit about from your perspective and being in the customer shoes, what, um, what you experienced or saw that you were then trying to realize to change. Sure. First thing I'll say is everybody wants to help me. <laughs> I'm here to help you. No, you're not, right? That's what I would tell them. You're not here to help me. You're here to sell me a product for a problem that you're hoping you find by having me talk to you. That's not helping me, okay? I'm here, I used to say, to sell more jeans. What you need to do is demonstrate that you have my best interest in mind, that my ability to sell jeans is impacted through cybersecurity attacks, what can we do to mitigate the problems so I can sell more jeans? And that conversation generally just stops most sales and marketing people dead in their tracks. I love it. I almost, well, I will say for this conversation, sales and marketing folks, we will find a way to promote this to you because be listening. You'll get some actually, I think, hopefully things that help if you're not already doing it. And I'll I'll start there and then kind of step back with some perspective from the marketing side that I saw. But first of all, there are some that I've seen realize the problem and understand that they need to take different approaches to better understand and talk to a CISO or cybersecurity decision leader, leader and, and business decision maker. When I was in marketing, I was coming at it from working in partnerships and strategic alliances on the vendor side. And I loved working with the partners and the technologies to figure out what was missing from each product, because this may be a lightning bulb moment. Not all vendors have a one-stop solution, even if the marketing says that they do, <laughs> or sales. So I was more from the mindset of the technology gaps and then what we needed to do and outsource or build together to fill some of those holes for the customer needs. And working with partners, they were all about, let's bring relationships together and conversations. And yes, they had a lot of events and dinners, but it it did work in, in that relationship building sense and really just getting to know people versus trying to think that they knew the person. And so as I then had to inherit a marketing team, all the other parts of marketing in demand gen, lead gen, you name it, I had to learn all of those other faucets of marketing. And I started noticing over time that some of maybe the content, how it was written in message, what the content was that they were sending out, blasting in, in emails, and then how they were getting leads, whether they vetted them or not, if they just took them, said they were qualified, gave them the sales, sales just sent it out without putting any thought behind the person that they're sending it to 
or figuring out what does that conversation look like. And I thought to myself, I think there's a better way we can be doing this. Well, it's not that there's a better way. Sales and marketing has been around a long time. Demand generation is not a new concept. The turn the crank to make demand generation happen is done in cybersecurity and every other industry. I think it's not get better. What we have now are over 4,000 products that a CISO can choose from as technology. And those 4,000 products are not solving 4,000 problems. They're solving probably 10 classes of problems. And then on top of that, you're trying to pitch me the technology and you forget about the people in the process. Mm -hmm. Because my ability to leverage technology is directly related to my business's ability to adapt to that technology and modify my business processes. You said something right there that has always rung true to me in all my times of working with my clients back in the day is I think there's a time and place for conversation that's appropriate. Technology solves maybe director level because they're hands-on, daily touching, their needs and their value, pain points, etc. are the actual technology product, right? But if you're talking to a CISO or a CIO or a CTO, it's 100% about the business challenges and what you are able to solve for them, not the product that you're pushing. We forget that, I think, as sales reps because we, let's be honest, marketing feeds us our content that we then articulate to our clients. True. Can I I ask you this? In all your years, do you have a salesperson? You don't have to name names unless you want to give shout outs. Do you have a salesperson that did it so freaking like, yes, perfect, that stands out today? I probably have 16 to 20 salespeople that if they call me, I will pick up the phone. Period. Not bad. Because of the personal relationship over the 15 years I've been in the industry. So think about it. One salesperson a year, effectively, that Mm -hmm. I've been able to work with who has demonstrated that they put my problems first Mm -hmm. and that they are working in the best interest of me or the company I'm working for and want to put that first and will invest the time to understand that and won't put the technology on the table. And C and I were having this conversation earlier, which is as a sales rep, she is one of those. I'm not going to try to close a deal if at the end of the day, it's not a good deal for both sides Mm -hmm. because it's pay me now or pay me later. And I'll give you another example. How many salespeople at the end of the day, and you'll be down to number one or number two, and I'm coming to closure, and they're going to buy the deal. They're going to effectively buy the deal because they're going to affect give it away. And what they're planning on later is they're going to find a way to get the money because now they're just waiting for opportunities and they have got to make profit. Mm-hmm. I reject those. Yeah. Right. Uh, my recommendation always when I go in is fair product, fair price, because mm-hmm. I don't want to do pay me now, pay me later. If I force you to give me an outrageous price, right, you're waiting for change orders. You're waiting for renewals. You've got to get that money back. That's not a good business relationship. Mm -hmm. That's not giving you the opportunity to look out for me 
and it's not giving me the opportunity to build a relationship where you now trust me and whatever company you go to or when you talk to me because you decide as a sales or marketing person, I want to go to another company because there's a lot of jumping. Mm-hmm. Hey, Steve, which companies look like the most promising that I should go to so I can make a little money? And in the meantime, I've seated people that I trust that will talk to me about what that can really do. Oh, my goodness. I love that. I love that. You don't understand how much I love that. <laughs> but you said, see, is something interesting that I want to tie back a little bit about sales. Marketing would feed leads to sales and sales reactions could be, what am I supposed to do with these? I want to take a step back and even look at our industry and cybersecurity as a whole and where accountability amongst each and in, in, each and every one of us individually needs to happen if it's not happening. And what I mean by that is not naming and blaming game. I don't think that that's going to solve any problem to say, well, they didn't do that and that's why we got attacked or whatever else. Marketing didn't give me this, sales didn't. No. How is it that we can better work together, be transparent and have those honest conversations to figure out where is the disconnect and the breakdown and what needs to be done and evolve? Because when I think about Myself, for for example, and I, I think all of us who take the approach where we're always evolving and always learning and want to have open mind and have an open mindset to realize what what can we do more to get more information, the right information. So I had personally two, two and a half years ago told myself, I want to hear directly from the sources themselves, not from sales, not from somebody else. I want to know exactly what actually is the reality behind what the CISOs think. What, what are they thinking directly? How do they view this? What do they need? What, what things are they looking at? What's all of it? And after having many of those conversations and building my relationships with them, I was in a better place to better not serve them, but to just better work with them, talk with them. And it becomes a true collaboration. And it's, I, it's, I a, it's a trusted relationship, too. And I, and I think that that term is overabused and used collaborate, synergy, whatever. But when you do have trust, right, and you actually genuinely like the person that you're working with, there is more inclination to be more candid, good, bad, ugly. And it's unfortunate that our business, our business, respective business, as you say, I worked for a publicly traded company. I had a 90-day contract for all intents and purposes. My job was a 90-day contract of whatever sales I closed to a given random number that they made up in the pie in the sky that I had to achieve and perform to. You can't have a good working relationship if all you're worried about and you're getting hammered on by your company is you must achieve these numbers at X point in time. Right. Now, let's talk about that a minute because one of the things I've done, regardless of a CISO or all product development I've done or anything else, is I learn to understand the perspective of the individual I'm working with. I look for win-win, which means if you can't be in my head to understand how I see my problem, right, I at least try to be in your head because I can potentially course correct you because I also want to see how you are being measured for success. And I'll look at salespeople. There are hunters and there are farmers. Okay. Okay? Yep. Now, Hunters have their place, depending upon what you're selling. In cybersecurity, I'm going to argue farmers are going to be more successful, but farmers take time. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Okay, it could take two years. Yet the cybersecurity industry, because it's got so much money and so many products, everybody's being hammered mm-hmm. to hit your quarterly numbers, either because your angel investors are trying to get you to seed, your seeds are trying to get you to A's, okay? And everybody is fighting for a small piece of the pie, yet the pie is a multi-billion dollar revenue generator. So you look at hunters and farmers. I have both hunters and farmers in my trusted domain, but I understand the difference. And we'll talk about that sometimes, which is I love hunters because they're aggressive. Mm -hmm. And if I'm in a position where I need something now, turn the hunter loose. The farmer is great. Because he's going to know what I need. And as he goes around or he knows other things, he becomes a trusted advisor for me. I will actually talk with him about what I'm seeing and invest time in there because he knows parts of the industry because I just cannot manage 4,000 products and an industry this broad anymore. It's beyond any one person. So that becomes a really interesting value proposition, again, to know what you're looking for. And if it's a hunter and they're very aggressive, Right. And you back them down and let them know that that part of their personality is not going to do them a service here. They can either find somebody else to do business with, or we can moderate that because there's a time and a place for it. Mm -hmm. So, again, I'm spending a lot of time learning the different things. Let me talk about product marketing and management since Mm -hmm. that's, you know, (laughs) an obvious place for Leah, right? Mm -hmm. I place a lot of blame on product marketing, and this is coming from my experience of being in engineering, mm-hmm. product marketing is really good at pushing a product, taking requirements back from the vendor, from the customers, turning that into new product requirements for the engineers to build. That is not their true job. Their true job is to look at the market to see where it's going and challenge the engineers to build what the product requires so that the customers can get to where they have to go, not incremental improvement on what they've done, okay? way I describe that is engineers build a product and design it to solve a task. We give it to a customer, they abuse it to solve a problem, and then product management spends two or three years with product requirements to translate what I build to how to use it to abuse it. Okay, well, that's great, and that's good for a three-year cycle, Mm -hmm. but what's next? Mm -hmm. Okay, that to me, when I find the really good product engine, product managers, okay, or the people that are responsible for design, that's where I invest. I go, you got to help me look 24, 36 months out to where we have to go, because the other part you can give to your people, and they can turn the crank, and the engineers aren't going to see it either. So how do I figure that out, Right. Good question. Yes, that's a good question. Also looking at, so going back to trust for a little bit, plus product and technology. And this is really what I noticed uh, when I stepped out of being at, on the vendor side last year in October, almost a year now, and not in the trenches anymore. And I would start to talk to folks who said, you know, I, I have this challenge and I think I need this technology you know, who, which vendor should I look at? They thought, okay, I've worked with quite a few and I probably have some recommendations. And just doing a search on Google to look at all the different vendors, even if you categorize them by whatever the magic quadrant category bucket is, 
it's very overwhelming. And as I was seeing it now from outside of being in the vendor's eyes, I thought to myself, holy cow, look at all these companies. And a lot of them are saying the exact same thing. I am so overwhelmed, so confused. And if I saw marketing materials that said things that I could not drill down quickly to see what that product or technology even did and the reality behind that, it it made my head spin even more. So then I think I was very much more understanding what is it like on the other side who, you know, those decision makers who have to look at that as well. But when you would get to a point when you had to evaluate technologies and products, one, where did you go to, who did you talk to or where did you go to find out what, who you should be looking at, what you should be looking at? And then how were you able to see the technology, um, the reality of it? Was it a demo or what have you or other to make the best decision and not let all of the noise and jargon and everything else cloud your judgment? Okay. <clears throat> it's changed dramatically over the last 10 years. 10 years ago, I was a security architect. And the way I approached the job was look at a three-year roadmap. Where where does the company have to be in three years for capabilities? Identity nexus management, network protection, GRC, governance, risk, and compliance, right? Application, application security. Approximate what that looks like for the next three years. Then lay out for the next year where we were going to make technical investments. And then do my homework to watch those areas and have a Rolodex of the key three to five companies that I think in the next year would be the ones we would shop, assuming the budgets came through and when. That's how I did it. Okay. As a CISO, what I'm spending more time now doing is looking to see where I have to be in three years and then realizing how every six months I have to reevaluate. Because the markets, the technology, the demands of digital transformation on companies, what COVID did to us, basically for most people throughout their three-year roadmaps, and in some cases dramatically changed the expectations of what they had to invest in. And so now as a CISO, what I was more interested in is letting my directors and my leaders pick the technology. I would just give them the requirements for what the technology had to solve. And I would potentially have some I would be interested in. And here's where it gets interesting for CISOs. Many CISOs dabble in technology. We will look for companies, small ones, or larger ones that are looking to do investments or acquisitions Mm -hmm. and work with them to understand what they're trying to do with an expectation that if I'm going to need that technology, Young companies are cheaper to buy if I don't have a lot of budget because I'm not necessarily deep pockets. Then I'm going to go for more aggressive, younger companies, higher risk, but I can take my $100 and stretch it farther, okay? If I'm risk adverse, therefore, I'm going to stay with big vendors, okay? I'm just going to pick Semantic for an example, okay? There's many out there where what they do is they try to build large portfolios of good companies, and I can hide in the herd because they can provide everything I need, and it may not be leading, but it's good enough, and I can manage my overall budget that way. So the strategies of managing my budget, CapEx, OpEx, okay, 
size of the budget, direction, all kind of go into how the different CISOs are managing the pipeline of relationships and vendors to figure out what's appropriate. You're making me cry because it's like everything that I think us sales professionals we have looked for because I've worked at a smaller company. I've worked for a multi-billion dollar company and the engagement, I have noticed it as well and observed when I was at a smaller company, there was that risk because you as a CISO, if you go, if this small company goes under, you just invested in a company that no longer exists. It's like buying a DeLorean today, right? It's like, oh, well, that car's not going to be here anymore. So I have to ask you this because everything that you've offered has been such a giving relationship. As you say, it needs to be a relationship. There's got to be communication, trust. So the terms you just used, and it's always bothered me to some degree, hunter, farmer. As a prospect or a client, do you really like to be thought of as a prey to be hunted into? Do you care about that terminology at all? No, no, because again, I have a job to do, mm-hmm. right? Like when I was at Levi's, my job was to sell more jeans. That's my job, mm-hmm. okay? That's what everybody's job is really, sell more jeans. Mm-hmm. How I do that, I have different responsibilities as a part of that problem. Uh, a simple way of looking at that is, hey, look, am I, am I in the game of profit protection or loss prevention. Interesting perspective. That's hunter yeah. mm-hmm. and farmer. Well, yep. in my mind, I was internally looking at that. Mm-hmm. So it's a perspective. If I know what it is, it's not good or bad, right? That's where sales is sales. Mm-hmm. They only want to focus on sales and generating revenue. Well, if I can build a relationship to understand that's how you are, I can take the better parts of that, marry it with what I need. Because you get it, so do I. But it, it comes back to that ability to be able to understand how to get to win-win. Mm-hmm. And you can back off the bad behavior. Because people that will continue with bad behavior, you know, like I said, I'll talk to you once. I might talk twice. That's the end of that conversation forever. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because I don't like you. It's You're not helping me. And I reach out. Farmers have their own problems. Some farmers farm forever, but never reap the crops. This is true. Okay. You know, I, I will say there are some companies, some vendors out there that are looking at how they can take even the fundamentals and just do it differently to achieve the same goal. And it comes back down to, I think, just being humans and us engaging with each other and how we do that, the engagement piece and doing it real as we would over coffee with somebody. Um, and I'll do, I'll call them by name because they're good, but, and, and then talk about the approaches, which leads me back to um, diving in on something we talked about earlier that I think is interesting. If you share, Steve, um, Armor Code's a startup. They took the approach of, um, they pulled together CISOs and, and other decision makers and they brought them into a community and they said, you know, we've seen this problem and we're looking to solve it in this way and we want you to be a part of helping us to do that. And so they came out with their book, the purple book on software security. But what I loved about that was 
It's a community partnership engagement conversation that brings everyone to the table and gives everyone a win-win where these guys get to weigh in on on the topic and, and give their perspective and be authors and have you know platform to speak. And then, you know, the, the company gets to also win in that. And I mean, I, I love that. And again, I think it's basic. It's, it's how do we want to be talked to? How, when we're talking with each other, you know, what is that looking like? We don't want to always be pitched to, right? Or sold to necessarily. Um, but we want the engagement and we want those relationships. Um, the other company's cloud defense and mainly only because he, um, the CEO is very relationship based and he, he would just build his relationships and go out to folks. And that's one of the reasons I um, got to know him more. And he said, you know, I don't need to sell. I actually just want the feedback right now because I want to be able to make any changes I have to. So he would just have folks come in and say, I just want the feedback. But then over time that led to, um, you know, successful business. But this being said, and looking back to Steve, your take on people and working at a very large company and with a very big team, I mean, to some degree, isn't the reality too, like being in war almost? And what does that so look like? <laughs> I, I'm going to take your question and I'm going to take it down a different path. Yeah. Because I get to because I'm the guest. So yep. I'm going to do it. Oh, boy. Here we go. I yep. told everyone to drop in. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about the types of CISOs that exist for a minute. Because okay. it has yes. to do with relationships and everything else and mm -hmm. it's things that I've observed. Okay. CISOs are maybe 15 years old as a concept. They're probably 10-year-old, 10 years old as an operating model. And in the last three years, I see it morphing yet again. So let's talk about that for a minute, what I observe. CISOs traditionally are technologists. They've come up through the IT side. Okay? Therefore, I'll call it, they're nerds. Mm -hmm. They like technology. <laughs> they're not necessarily gregarious. They don't <laughs> care about people, right? So relationships aren't important. Not, I mean, again, I'm making some broad observations mm -hmm. here. CIOs, mm -hmm. same thing. 30 years old technologists gone through the same thing. What do CIOs get measured on? Efficiency. Mm -hmm. How efficient are you in spending your money because you're a cost center to me to deliver technology? You are not a profit center that generates revenue for me. Now, as much as they like to argue that, that's the way it is for many companies and manufacturing and everything else. Salesforce aside, right, some of the high-tech companies, but I mean for the majority. So, CISO, technology, fighting that cybersecurity is important, wants more visibility. How are you getting measured? Efficiency of the product because you report to the CIO. Mm. So, how is that going to be perceived up to the board? Through the CIO as a set of efficiency on technology. And they're comfortable with that. Now, how does the board look at the world? Okay. The board wants to know how effective is IT being in selling more genes. And it's not a good conversation then because the CIO is efficiency. The CISO really is about effectiveness because I can't spend all the money to do it. 
and I'm not being told deliver functionality. I'm being able to be able to, I'm being told to deliver risk management. And as long as I have a technology conversation, now I'm not set up to have a risk conversation, which is how the board and the executive team thinks. Now, why am I saying it this way? Because it gets back to relationships and it gets back to leadership versus management. At lower and mid-levels, you manage people, you manage product, you manage efficiency. When you get up to senior leadership, you are managing relationships. Mm -hmm. I have to trust you. And if you don't do your job, then there will be consequences. But I trust you to do your job because I am not capable of knowing sales and marketing and CIO technology and CISO. So if you're a CISO that knows how to leverage relationships – and knows how to manage risk with those relationships. You're now talking and thinking like the executive team. Mm. And now you're presenting your value proposition for the company is, like I used to say, my job at Levi's was threefold. It was to protect the brand, it was to protect the people, and it was to protect the supply chain. Mm -hmm. If I was not doing, if any investment that I was doing in people, processor, technology was not aligned to one of those three things, then I was not doing my job because that's my business responsibility to sell more jeans. You manage my brand, damage my brand, you don't buy. What does that mean? That's all about HIPAA and privacy data. And my website, you deface my website and my brand. have to protect my users. That's social engineering, security awareness training, right? What can I do? Mm -hmm. Multi-factor authentication. Supply chain. Everybody's got supply chain. That's all third-party supply chains go down. I don't know where my product is. I used to tell people, and I say to you, what is the most important thing that I have to have to make money at Levi's? The answer is, as long as I got product in stores, that is my number one business process. I may not know how much money I have. I may not know how much revenue I'm making. I may not know where all my people are, but if I've got jeans in stores, I know I'm making money and the rest I can recover. Okay, that type of strategic thinking then applied to a CISO is where I think the CISO relationships and thinking are changing again because we're going from the number of products and the efficiency of the products to cyber risk, detect, prevent, Mm -hmm. recover. So at least we're trying to have a risk conversation, cyber risk, to break away from efficiency and get to effectiveness of how attacks are being presented and what we can do. The third generation and where we're talking today is, all right, now how can I talk about business risk and be able to represent how I am doing profit protection, okay, or loss prevention through protect the brand, protect the people, protect the supply chain? And what insurance policies am I effectively taking and what am I not covering? And that's the business risk conversation you have with your chief risk officer that vaults you into the executive team, assuming that that's how the executive team wants to think. Because, again, there are a lot of executive teams out there that are very technically focused, that are driven because they are technology. You as a CISO need to be able to talk technology. You need to be able to talk cyber risk and you need to be able to talk business risk. You better be able to do that transparently and instantly to be able to consider the opinion and eventually get back to delivering 
the insurance policies for what you need. That's why I would say relationship management is so critical and why I think there's key gaps there. So on those key gaps, and then looking at the dynamic with CIOs and CISOs, because we know that not every company has the CISO in the C-suite at the board with the CIO. Well, let's think about that. But there are times when CIO is not even in the C-suite where the CIO reports into CFO because they're considered a cost center, not mm-hmm. a profit. So that to me sounds like the older school dynamic. Are you seeing this evolve and change? And if so, is it evolving fast enough? Meaning, is that CIO getting that CXO, whatever, or I mean, CIO getting that seat closer to the C-suite and the CISO rising at the same time? Or do you think it's CISO rising faster than CIO? So this gets back to who do you report to? Mm -hmm. Right. So traditionally, CISO to CIO. Yet, depending upon the size of a company, if you're a startup, you may report to the CTO. You may report to the CFO. You could report to the chief risk officer. Okay? So, really, the onus is on the CISO. And what I tell people, or CISOs or ones that want to be, I say, there is going to be a defining moment in your career when there is an incident and you are going to get your 10 minutes in front of senior leadership. Mm -hmm. That is going to make or break your career at that company. Because if you can rise to the occasion and speak to risk and speak to business risk, and they realize that you've crossed that chasm, that you're the security guy that they can trust that can speak their language, you're in. If you give them statistics and mumbo-jumbo and they just kind of turn away, right, you're not going to be asked back because you haven't made the jump to do the job. And that's why I say the CISOs have this great opportunity as we're transitioning yet again, which says regardless of who your boss is, you better be able to speak those three languages because your career trajectory now is going to be based on your ability to speak the business language and sell more jeans than it is on your relationship with your CIO and trying to manage your execution of your career through the CISO into the executive suite. And you're seeing some of that breakaway start to happen, but so much of it depends upon the type of the company and the type of CISO. There are 10,000 companies. There are 10,000 CISOs. Mm -hmm. To your point, no two are the same. I've worked in healthcare. I've worked in large utilities. I've worked in, you know, with Levi. So international retail fashion, I built product. If I've learned anything is that every time I go somewhere, everything I learned in the past is helpful, but I can't ever reuse it because the challenges and the needs are so dynamic. It's just having a big enough toolkit and a big enough set of experiences to roughly know where I need to go. And then I'm off breaking new ground. So then thinking when, you know, like you said earlier, when we first started talking that the CISO role, it's been what, 15 years in, right? That we've really had CISOs. And then now, you know, we have folks like you who are leaving those positions, even if you're going off to do more advising or helping other organizations when they are looking at the next leader that becomes a CISO and what that looks like and how 
it, and because I don't, there's no necessarily, I, I don't think you can just say, here's a course and it'll teach everybody leadership, especially in security. So then when looking at those that are about to get into CISO roles or working, whether it's directly with them or the organization, now taking your learnings, how are you coaching or advising them as we now look at a roadmap three years ahead, for example? Yep. So this is where living in the valley is an advantage. Yeah. Okay. In the valley, if you're at a company for three years, that's an eon. This is true. Okay. <laughs> you're a lifer. You're a lifer. <laughs> mm-hmm. In security, the average lifetime is 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's crazy short. Yeah. Burnout. Mm-hmm. Bad fit, unreasonable expectations, right? There's a whole set of reasons. The good news in the valley is if you're in a job for 18 months as a CISO and it's not a good fit, you can leave. There's no consequence on your career. If you're smart, you learn from it and keep going. Companies also can hire a CISO because they need one or there was a replacement. 18 months, it's like dog years. That's mm-hmm. like eight years, Okay. And the companies change. Look what COVID did to many companies. And so, therefore, they're realizing the individual they hired may not be appropriate for what they want. I'll take another one. Look at diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Look at the Valley and others where they're realizing that the ability to sell more jeans or whatever that they're doing, that they're leaving money on the table, I'll call it. Diversity inclusion has all kinds of facets as to how that makes sense. And so I look at it as I was here almost six years. I was a lifer. I was here too long. I was Mm -hmm. expecting two years at Levi's. Mm -hmm. But the job was so interesting. We were growing and making changes, right? We went uh, with e-commerce deployment. We we doubled revenue. We went public. Okay, there was – and then COVID hit. There was always something that kept you so engaged. But eventually it was like it's time for new leadership. It's time to go to let somebody else – take the reins mm-hmm. and let the company and them mature. I yes. think we've dropped so many words of wisdom. I'm almost afraid that we're going to keep going and never end. But I do think Steve, if you can come back, we would love to have you, but do you have any final parting thoughts? Because if we don't ask you this question, you're never leaving this room. And I know you have a family to go back to. So any parting thoughts you'd like to share? Here's what I would say. What I'd like to do is summarize this conversation this way. What we have is a village and a child, and it takes a village to raise that child, to protect it, to feed it, and it's going to grow over time, and so is the village. Well, cybersecurity is very much like that, okay? Cybersecurity as a child, the village are all of the parts of the ecosystem that go into it. I think what we've realized is we have a common enemy, right? The bad guys are trying to attack the entire village, not just the child. And so we have to raise the child, but that means we all have to talk to each other and we have to get better and we have to act differently because we don't want to lose anybody in the village nor the child. And I think we did uncover a lot in our conversation today. But it's also representative of a lot is going on within cybersecurity. Um, Steve, one, the community, and I have other folks who have told me the same as how I feel, so it's mutual, um, have seen you as a leader. 
And we, I appreciate, we appreciate your candidness, keeping it real and sharing the brutal truths that we all need to bring, I think, even more so into onto the table if we really want to see change and lessen the attacks. So thank you for sharing and very honest and based on what you've learned. We hope that we see you continue to share that because we need more of those voices. And at the end of the day, it's we need to move from not just let's keep talking, but nothing happens. Let's then look at where are the problems and then have those real open dialogues and conversations, bring that to light, and then figure out from there, now how are we going to solve that so we can actually move forward and not take 10 steps back. So I just want to thank you for being part of this today and going in that direction with us. Excellent. Very real. Thank you. And Leah, thank you. See you. Thank you as well. I had a great time today. Really appreciated the opportunity. Uh, well, like I said, don't don't be surprised if we ask you to come back again. So <laughs> next time you see your son, I guess you have to come back. <laughs> okay. It's a deal. I promise. You've heard it on the air. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, then, I think that wraps it up for another wonderful diary entry. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining the CISO Diaries. Thank you. Thank you.